we're in week number three of a seven-part series as we look at uh, origins, how it all began. There are basically two worldviews. There's one worldview that basically says that everything happened kind of by accident, that it was by chance, that everything just aligned at just the right way at just the right time, and it happened. Or there's the worldview that says there is something beyond us. There, there is something uh, that is beyond our limitations, beyond uh, what we experience here, beyond us, bigger than us, more powerful than us, that began everything, that started it all. And the worldview is important because it answers several questions. Our worldview that we choose answers this. Who am I? Where did I come from? Why am I here? What is going to happen to me when I die? These questions are all answered as we look to the past about how everything started. In fact, our origin, the beginning, that is where we find the answers to these questions. Um, and the answers that we get to those questions have an impact on how we live our lives today. And the way we live our lives today, the decisions we make, the things we decide, that impacts our future. So the past has everything to do with our future. I made my choice for myself years ago. But if you're like me, just perhaps, just maybe, maybe you've made that choice too, but because you're not a scientist like me, I'm not a scientist, because you're not the one that's doing the research, maybe you get lost, like I tend to get lost, in the chaos between those two worldviews. We have all been taught over the course of our lives some very specific things. We have been taught some scientific ideas, but they have been presented to us as known facts. Now, again, if you're like me, over time, as our world gets further and further and further away from God, if that is what you continue hearing then if you're like me, maybe, maybe you begin to doubt what the Bible says. You know, this Bible we're talking about, it's not just an ordinary book. In fact, it's 66 books written over the course of 40, uh, uh, by 40 different authors over a time period of thousands of years. But yet, all of that still is one integrated story, one integrated message. And the more you study it, the more you read it, the more you discover that every detail is in there for a purpose. It's in there by design. You begin to realize that God can actually write history before it ever happens. And the very structure of the text, you can tell that there is special authorship there. And it reveals that it had to originate somewhere outside of time, as we know time. This collection of books called the Bible tells one amazing story. It tells us the history and the future of redemption. How the Creator Himself became one of us. He became the created in order to redeem His creation and it is our greatest privilege in this life to get to know him. So let's jump back in to Genesis chapter 1 
we started this whole thing with verse 1, and it said, in the beginning. We talked about uh, how time is actually a physical property. Time is impacted by things like gravity and velocity. Time, because it is a physical property uh, created by God himself, God is outside of what he has created. He is not subject to, under the control of what he has created. So he is outside of time. We have a tendency to think, so here in the beginning, which means before that was just eternity, right? We have a tendency to think, okay, eternity, that's just a lot of time. Lots of time. We infinite time. But that's not how eternity is at all. And on God's perspective, eternity simply means this. God is beyond that time. Beyond. And it's hard for my mind to, to wrap my mind around that. So let's move on. In the beginning, God. We told you how that word for God is Elohim. And Elohim is actually a plural. So here we have, in the very first verse of the Bible, God is letting us know that there is more to him than we can understand. Because God, this Elohim, is a plural word, meaning more than one. But it, it's written always grammatically incorrect here in the text, in the Hebrew text. It's written as a singular, although it's plural, which gives us a hint. God is saying, there's more to me than you know. There's more. There's plural there's more than one, more, but yet there's just one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you can get to the place in your life where you're able to accept this verse, then you will have no problem with the rest of Scripture. No problem at all. Verse 2, but the earth had become a desert and a wasteland. And darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, here we have God. God's Spirit. It took all of two verses for God to begin to let us know. Here's the second part of God. <laughs> God the Spirit. So that Elohim, that plural, is coming into perspective now. We have God, we have God the Spirit. And God's Spirit here is hovering over the surface. Now the idea behind this, the picture behind this, is that God is somehow, the Bible says, He's surrounded by darkness. And this is no ordinary darkness. This is a, an ominous, a, 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 almost an evil darkness darkness that he's surrounded by. And it's as if God's Spirit is hovering in a protective sense, hovering over God's creation. What is coming next? What has happened? What is coming next? Almost as if he, God's Spirit has his wings out, hovering over, protecting the creation and the creative process all under his wings. And guess what? Understand this. That God desires to gather you as well under his protective wings. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. So who said that? Who said that? Who said let there be light? Last week, we showed you that that was Jesus. And I encourage you, if you missed last week, please go back and listen to that on SoundCloud or 
on uh, the Facebook Live recording, listen to that explanation. So we have God the Father, we have God the Spirit who is just hovering over creation, and we have God the Son who just said, let there be light. That is God, this plural God, yet God is one. And all of God, Elohim, God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit, all present for and at creation. Verse 4, God saw the light, and it was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. And you think to yourself, separated the light from the darkness? I, I thought just darkness was just the absence of light. Separated the light from the darkness. How strange is that? But you know, there is a darkness that is so dark that it is actually a solid. A darkness so dark that light photons cannot escape from that darkness. And we call that darkness a black hole. You know, Genesis has been written uh, for, with such flexibility that we can go to the book of Genesis with no knowledge, no understanding of science at all, and, and we can begin to understand it and make sense. But the amazing flexibility is this, that you can approach Genesis with a background of good scientific information. And Genesis still makes sense because God has scripted Genesis not just for the past generations, but he has scripted Genesis for generations of scientific information like today. <laughs> the truth is, the more you know about particle physics, the more that you are in awe of Genesis. Verse 5. God called the light day and the darkness night, and evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. And wow, was that a great day. Day one, the first day. The first day was a Sunday, and there are six days of creation. So here's a question, does that mean that God is talking about six literal 24-hour days? Well, we answered that question as well last week. I hope you'll go back and look at that. Now, I'm going to be blogging again this week. I took a week off. I'll be blogging again this week on this topic. I hope that you will hang in there with us and check that out. Now we are to the second day, which is a Monday. The second day is Monday. Genesis chapter 1, verse 6. Now the vocabulary through this verse makes this day a very tough day to talk about and to understand. So we're going to go through day 1 here as carefully as possible. Verse 6. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters. Now space can be, this word space... And from the Hebrew can be translated in many different words. When you look at a lot of the different English translations, they use words like firmament. What is that, you say? Exactly. They use words like vault. They use words like expanse or a solid arch. Notice the word solid. A solid arch or dome, even horizon or sky. 
But it is even interestingly to me translated very literally something to divide. In other words, we don't know what it is, but it's something. <laughs> it's something to divide. And it goes on. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of the heavens from the waters of the earth. Interestingly, in the Hebrew, it just says the waters from the waters. But we understand that it is the waters from the earth, the waters from the heavens. But we can kind of, when we hear the word waters, we think of uh, what we have here in the rivers and the lakes. And we think of what we have in rain. We think of liquid water. But this word is also used to describe all types of water. This Hebrew word is used to describe waters that is liquid. So liquid water. It's used to describe water as a solid, which is ice. It's used to describe water as a vapor, which is steam. And it's also used to describe water in a way that we're not used to hearing about water, and that would be water as a plasma. Most people think that there are only three states of matter. We think about solid, liquid, and gas, don't we? But there's actually four states of matter, solid, liquid, gas, and plasma. And this word that is used in the Hebrew can mean any one of those forms of water. So when we think of separating water from the water, don't be stuck to thinking liquid water from liquid water. It could be any form of that water, any form. It can be the liquid, the vapor, it can be uh, the solid, it can be the plasma. Let's move to verse 7. And that is what happened. God made this space, um, it says, God made this space that separated the waters from the earth, from the waters of the heaven. And in verse 8, it says, God called the space sky, and evening passed, and morning came, marking the second day. So this is what gets so confusing, really, to me anyway, maybe not to you. On this second day, God created something called space. Sounds a little weird. It sounds a little odd. We understand that there is space around this earth. What, what my hands are passing through right now, it's passing through space. When you're outside doing the same thing, don't do it. People will think you're weird. But if you were doing that, your hands would be moving through space. We think of space, what's around earth. We think of space uh, of what we call outer space that's beyond the earth. God created it. He created this, he created that. And here's my question, what is that space that he created? We think of space as being empty, like outer space here. We think of that. We think of the space around us like this uh, sunset. We think of that as that space, that sky, all of that really as minus maybe a few clouds, but as being empty. And guess what? You are mostly made up of this created space. You too are mostly made up of space. As solid as this table sounds, 
this table is made up of mostly what we would call empty space. So you're saying, Harley, that I'm made up of empty space. You're weird. Everything is made up of uh, atoms. Everything is made up of atoms. Um, atoms... Uh, well, here, here we are. To know how we are comprised we have to understand a little bit more about the structure of an atom. Here's a picture, a representation of an atom. Each atom has a nucleus right there in the middle. That represents the nucleus. Okay, now this is a drawing. This is not the real deal. Um, each atom has a nucleus made up of... Uh, made up of Protons and neutrons right there in the middle. And they're collected right there in a mass in the very middle. Outside of every single atom that exists in your body, inside this table, every, every atom in the air we breathe, they have atoms too, there are electrons that are moving about around the outside of that nucleus. That this representation here represents the whole of the atom. But that picture doesn't give us the picture. Because that it, we can't. Let me tell you why we cannot draw what that looks like. The nucleus is 100,000 times smaller than the entire atom. One, so see, that's a giant nucleus. It's 100,000 times smaller than the entire atom. So this picture can't really help us understand. All that can do is help you understand how the electrons run around the outside of it. That's about all that it can help you do. So here we go. 100,000 times. So if, if the nucleus were the head of a pin, if the nucleus were just the very end, the head of a pin, if that's how big the nucleus was, the electron, or the electrons that, it's just a handful, just a handful of electrons, it's not like millions, it's just a handful of electrons that are going around that nucleus, do you know how far out they would be? If, if the nucleus were the size of the head of a pin, the electrons would be 100 meters away. So think about that with me. If I was holding a pin from right here, 100 meters away would be the electron. Think with me about all of that space. The atom is mostly empty space. How weird is that? For every single atom, if it were the size of the head of a pin, the electrons would be 100 meters away. That's all empty space. Now just shrink that down on a smaller scale. It's still, the atom is still almost all empty space. 
So when I say that you and I are mostly empty space, I am far more accurate than when I say this is a solid. This is mostly empty space. Now that blows my mind. I don't know if it's blown yours or not, but it blows mine. It gets even more weird. But it turns out, empty space is not really empty. (laughs) When God created this thing called space, God actually created something. Because space is not empty. Space is full. It is full of these things that are called subatomic, which means smaller than the atom, subatomic particles. So this is weird. Space is actually thick and dense with subatomic particles. Let's go back to the structure of the atom for just a moment. Almost 99% of our bodies are made up of just a handful of elements. One of those elements is called carbon. Let's look at a a carbon atom. That's a picture of a carbon atom right there. Uh, A a diagram. I'm sorry, not a picture. The The carbon atom is made up of six neutrons and made up of six protons. They come together in the very middle to form the nucleus. The nucleus is a positively charged little thing there. That's positive. The carbon atom also has six electrons that are moving around the outside. So again, if this were the size of a pinhead, 100 meters away would be the nearest electron. And there's only six of them. You see, just a handful. So that's a carbon atom. Now, the, the middle here, that is positively charged. These electrons on the outside are negatively charged. Like a magnet, opposites attract. I loved playing with magnets when I was a kid and an adult. Opposites attract. The negative is attracted to the positive. They attract. Now, listen to this. Here's my question. You're going to hear us talking about the, the, the third law of thermodynamic. Not, I, don't, I can't remember if it's third or not. I'm confused now. Everything kind of winds down slowly. It's just a law, physical law. It's in place. God put it there. These electrons are attracted. They want to connect to the positive proton, just like a magnet. But yet, they stay circling in a cloud all around that nucleus. So here's my... And they just continue to circle. They want to attract. That's what the attraction keeps them from flying off. And flying away. So the electrons stay right there. Because they're attracted. But we have to now think about it from the other perspective. Why does the electron. Not run out of energy. 
why does that electron not finally run out of energy and slowly make its way to where it does connect like a magnet to the nucleus? Why doesn't it run out of energy? Everything else in this universe runs out of energy. You have to wind your watch. If you have one like mine, it has to wind. When you move your arm, it winds. If I don't move, it runs out of energy. Your battery in your watch, if you have a battery, when it runs out, your watch runs down. Everything in this world runs out of energy. Why is the electron of every atom in every body, in everything you breathe, in everything that looks and appears solid, why are those electrons not running out of energy and eventually crashing and, and attaching themselves to the positive charge of the nucleus? It takes energy being inserted into that electron to keep it away from the neutron, to, from, from, from the uh, nucleus. It's not running out of energy. It takes energy continually placed into that electron to keep it away from the nucleus. Where does that electron gather its energy. Where does it get that energy? Because eventually it should run out because that's what we've learned from science. It should run out and it should crash right into the nucleus. Why does it not do that? Here's another way to ask the same question. What is even holding that basic structure of, the, of everything together? What is keeping it functioning? What is holding the atom together? What keeps that electron from eventually winding down and crashing into the nucleus of every atom and every cell of your body and every breath of oxygen that we breathe and every chair that you're sitting in what is holding those atoms together, keeping that electron away from the nucleus? It appears that the electron picks up energy from the empty space that God has created. Mysteriously, space is not empty at all. It's not only filled with these subatomic particles, but space around us is filled with this thing called zero-point energy. I don't have time to describe that, but it's basically energy that no one knows where it comes from. We have no idea. It's just there. We don't know. No one really knows where this energy comes from, but apparently the electrons have a way to get that energy that's available from the space around them and to use it to stay away from the nucleus. It's just there. That energy is just there. No one knows. Although we do have an idea, just perhaps, where it might come from. Colossians chapter 6, verse 16 
For through him, talking about Jesus, God created everything. Everything in the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we can't see. And then he describes such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. Now listen to this, verse 17. He, that's Jesus, existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. The one that made it at this very moment is still holding it all together today. Why does the electron not crash into the nucleus of every atom? I'm pretty sure because God is holding it together today. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says this, Long ago God spoke. He spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, in these final days, He has spoken to us through His Son. God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, He created the universe. The Son radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And He, here we go, He sustains everything by the mighty power of His command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God of heaven. Jesus sustains everything by the power of his mighty command. Why do the electrons not crash into the nucleus? There are some other ideas of answers out there. But I'm just going to tell you what I think. Because Jesus says, don't crash in <laughs> to the nucleus of every atom. Where do they get their energy? God placed it in space that he created on day two, Monday. Jesus created everything. Jesus sustains everything. Jesus keeps everything going according to God's plan. We think that space is empty. But it's not. It is created by God and it is full. Now, for me, this is amazing to me and it is also amazingly difficult to understand because I and you, we are limited in our understanding, we have to understand things from our three dimensions of space. As you look at this bottle of water, you can only understand this from, from it, the three dimensions of space. From the length of it, from the width of it, from the depth of it, this 3D world we have. We love, growing up I used to love going to 3D movies. No big deal anymore. When I was a kid, huge deal. I loved it. 
It was like reaching out to touch the things. I love the 3D movies. It was amazing. But guess what? This 3D world, this is (laughs) lo-fi. This is lo-fi. Science today tells us that there might be up to 10 dimensions. And we're really only aware of four of those. The three I just told you about space, and then the one time dimension, that's four. We really live in a 4D world, but science today says there could be as many as 10. They don't know, there could be more. But there could be as many as 10 dimensions. But six of those 10 dimensions, we can't even understand or perceive. We have no idea what those dimensions are like. We have no idea. Any dimension beyond what we know, which is those three or four, any dimension beyond that is called a hyper dimension. You may have heard the word, it's an older word, but you may have heard hyperspace. That's referring to dimensions beyond what we know right now. God is not limited to our three or four dimensions. God's not limited to those. These other dimensions, however many there are, we can't perceive them. We don't have the ability to feel them, to sense them, to understand our experience with them. Even if they're there, we don't know it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we do not focus on what is seen, our 3D, 4D world, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, this 3D, 4D world. We think this is the best there is, let's live it up. No, no, no. There's so much more to come that we can't even understand. But what is unseen, these other dimensions, are eternal. Our seen world, what we experience right now in our three to four dimensions, that's what we experience today. But the unseen, those spiritual dimensions, that is God's realm And he is not limited to our 3 and 4D world. We don't have the ability to deal with hyperspace, with hyper dimensions, because we only have to experience what we have here, 3D world. That's all we have. So we can't really do that. So I I want to help us to understand. Let's assume for a moment, let's assume that you are stuck in a two-dimensional world. So I want to introduce you to two people. This is Mr. Flat, and this is Mrs. Flat. They are stuck in two dimensions. This is their world. Let's assume that this is the world God created. Two dimensions. Mr. Flat and Mrs. Flat, right there. Now, Mr. Flat, at this moment, can't even see Mrs. Flat. (laughs) Now, he can turn and see her, but what is he going to see? He's just going to see a straight line. 
because she's two-dimensional. He has to get over here in front of her. Oh, oh, there's Mrs. Flat. He can now see her. They're stuck in two dimensions. They can't see either one of They can see you, but they can't see each other. Now, he can see a line. Oh, there she is. Now they can see. Two dimensions. They're stuck. Two-dimensional world. Now, I'm not two-dimensional. I'm three-dimensional. I'm not limited to their two dimensions. In fact, Mr. Flat can be right here, and Mrs. Flat can be way over here. Oh, sorry, Miss Flat. Oh, I'm going to put a little lean on you. Now, there we go. They can't see each other. They have no idea that the other one is even near. They are stuck in their two dimensions. One over here, one way over here. Let's just say this is their world. They're on their world. That's what they experience. That's what they know. There could be even something in between them. Let's put this between them. They can't get through it. He has no idea that she's even existing over here on the other side of their world. But I can see them both. I'm outside of their world. I'm not stuck in their dimensions. I can see them both. In fact, they can't be near each other at this moment, but I can be very near both of them at the very same time. They can't touch each other at this moment, but I can touch both of them at the very... Because I have an extra dimension that they don't have. I can actually touch them at the same time. I can see both of them. I am outside of their two dimensions. I have three. You see what that added dimension allows me to do? It gives me a flexibility they can't even understand. In fact, they can't even understand three dimensions. This is all they know. We have three dimensions. God is not bound by our three dimensions. God can be intimately involved with every single person in His creation all at the same time because He is not bound by our three dimensions. Let's say that I poke my finger into their two-dimensional world. Let's say that I do that. What do they see? I've got a series of a few pictures. As my finger begins to penetrate, what I'm going to point it out because you can't see it right here. Um, let's see, right there. You see that? Let me turn this off. You see that? That's my finger. That's a picture of my finger beginning to enter into his world. The more, the closer my finger gets into his 2D world, watch the next one. My finger gets a little bigger. There it is. It's a little bigger. And all he sees is what? That's what? A circle. He has no idea that's a finger. And it gets a little bigger. The closer I get to him, there it is. Until finally he can see my hand. That's the next picture. Right there. I'm right. Oh, oh, it's a hand. I thought it was a circle. As I'm entering into his 2D world. Now, depending on what they see, 
Mrs. Flat and Mr. Flat could see very different things. Look at the next picture. So here we have a tiny circle. Maybe that's what Mrs. Flat saw. And Mr. Flat saw a bigger circle. And they said, oh, I've seen God. Mrs. Flat says, I've seen God. She said, he's a tiny little dot. And Mr. Flat says, ha, 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 I've seen God. He's a, he's a big circle. And so Mrs. Flat, she goes to the church of the dot. Mr. Flat goes to the church of the big circle. That's their experience. That's what they've seen. Now, if I, let's just say, say I printed them out. So I created Mr. Flat and Mrs. Flat. If I really wanted Mr. Flat and Mrs. Flat to know me. I can know them very intimately. From my 3D perspective, I can know them. But if I, if, if I want them to know me beyond a dot, I, I could leave all of these three dimensions that I have and I could enter into and limit myself to their two-dimensional world. There we go. If I wanted them to really understand me and know me, I could leave my three dimensions and I could enter into their two-dimensional world and relate to them through the dimensions by which I created them. Are you beginning to understand what I'm saying? That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He left however many dimensions there are and that He has available to Him, whatever they are, for a limitless God. Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 5, listen to this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Now listen to this description of Jesus. Though He was God, limitless God, a God with no limitations, Though He was God, He did not think of equality with God, of being God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, to let His creation die separated from Him. It wasn't worth it to Him to cling to His Godness that He had available to Him. All of this unlimited nature. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took on the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Understand this with me. Our God 
who is beyond his creation, beyond all of the physical properties, all of the laws that he has put in place of nature. He is beyond that, beyond all of our three and four dimensions, beyond that. Our God, who is limitless, chose to limit himself by placing himself into our three and four D world. He chose to limit himself. And, and, and get this. When he chose to limit himself as Jesus. He chose that limitation for eternity. It wasn't just a short visit. And say, oh I can do that for a little while. Jesus chose to limit himself for eternity by placing himself into this 4D world, into his own creation. Why? Because someone had to die. And it would take a great big sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. It would take a God-sized sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. It would take God dying for us. But God can't die. God is limitless. He cannot die unless He becomes one of us. And He did. God's plan was in place. God's plan was ready and God's plan was in place before the beginning of Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's plan to redeem you and me was already in place. He already knew that He would be dying upon a cross made from a tree that He created. He already knew. And He died for us and it is our greatest privilege on this earth to get to know Him and to be known by Him. And that does require one thing though. Since He paid for and purchased our lives on the cross, we simply need to admit to Him we need to admit to Him that we need Him. And we need to turn our lives over to Him. Admitting, Jesus, You are now the owner of my life. And my friends, if you have never done that, you can do that right now. You can do that now. And please, if you are telling God right now, God, because you died for me on the cross and you rose again three days later, you are my owner. I'm giving my life to you. If you're doing that, please, please, please let me know on the back of your connection card that you're making Jesus the boss of your life. Jesus chose to die for us. That passage in Philippians that described Jesus who put on this flesh, who limited himself for us. It goes on to say this. 
Therefore, God, because he did that, because he died on the cross for us, therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on this earth. It goes on. It says this in verse 11. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 